On The Go podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. We're in the middle of a series, this series on unlocking the Bible, and, and there's just a lot going on. Um, Open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus, please. You got your Bibles? I hope you brought them. Uh, I, I'm got, I got a reader coming out. <laughs> the reader is called Tree Bible or E-Bible. I'm doing, I'm doing a lot of studying right now about the pros and cons of having the Bible in our hand versus the Bible in our hand. It, and I'm, re, I'm, I'm, it's amazing the studies that are going on right now. So you got your Bibles, open them up. I don't care how you got it, but open up to the book of Exodus. If you have the app, open that up. If you don't have the app, go get it. It's at the Sanctuary SCV on the app store or wherever you got that right. There are a lot of motivations that I have for doing this series. Um, and, and, and there's just a lot of motivations. If you grew up in the church, you probably know a lot of Bible stories, and if you didn't grow up in the church, you probably know just enough Bible stories to know you don't believe a lot of Bible stories. Possibly, maybe. Or maybe you grew up in the church with Bible stories, and now as an adult, you're wondering, how, how do all those stories fit together? What is all this stuff going on over here? What does it have to do with all that, right? The problem with each of these scenarios is that we know a lot of stories in the Bible. We just don't know the story of the Bible. There is a meta-narrative. We'll get into it this morning, but there's a, a greater story that's happening here that's our story. So if you're taking notes this morning, here's the first one for you. If it wasn't for Jesus, there wouldn't be a Bible. Period. Let me just stop right there and tell you, Jesus didn't write the Bible, okay? Some people are like, well, Jesus wrote it. No, he didn't write that, okay? If it wasn't for him, though, there wouldn't be a Bible. And the reason I say that is because the Bible doesn't actually begin, the, the story of the Bible doesn't begin with Genesis. The story of this book actually begins with the story of Jesus, that's how this book comes together. And we've been looking at the story of the Bible over the last month or so. If you have missed any of that, go to our website, sanctuarychurch.com. Go to YouTube, get it podcasted, just catch up on where is all this going from? You know, like, some people are like, did he just say that the beginning starts with Jesus? Yeah, go listen to it. There's a whole bunch of context there that you might be missing. But I'm going to pick it up today. Story of the Bible. We're starting now. We're in the New Testament, right? Because it's like, okay, all this is going on. We got the followers of the way. I'm going to get into that this morning. But the Gentiles, and Gentiles is anybody and everybody who ain't Jewish. So it's like this exclusive club called Jewish, and everybody's an outsider. You're all known as Gentiles, right? And they get enamored with the sacred text of the Jews the sacred writings of the Jews, starting with what's called the law of Moses. Now, here's where it's going to get hard, and you just got to stay with me, okay? So the law of Moses, also known in Hebrew as the Torah, and then also known in Greek as the Pentateuch. So what is it? Yes. It is the law of Moses. It is the Torah. It is the Pentateuch. It just depends on where you're talking about it, you know? So this law of Moses was put together, and this Torah, right? And then some prophecy was added to it, and some history and writings were added to it. And it's what is known today as the Jewish Bible or the Hebrew Bible or what's called the Tanakh. 
The Tanakh is just like we have our Bible. The Jews have something called the Tanakh. And early on, these Gentile Christians picked up the Tanakh and they're going, oh man, did you read this? Look at this. This is because, watch this, because these believers in Jesus, believers in the way, they believe in Jesus and Jesus believed in the Tanakh. Jesus read from the Tanakh. Jesus was teaching from the Tanakh. And so they're like, okay, if that was important to him and I believe in him, I should probably get to know the Tanakh. And so they're captivated by what they're reading and these sacred texts. They're, they're reading this stuff. Now, the Tanakh is actually an acronym. Here, here this is a good one for you. It's, it's the name of three divisions in the Tanakh. That's how they got the name. The T is from the Torah. The N is from the Nevi'im. And the K is from the Ketuvim. And so that's why it's called the Tanakh. And so that's all the writings. So a lot of it looks like our Old Testament, but there's even some more. But this is what this looks like, right? And so Gentiles are embracing, not just embracing the Tanakh as Jewish scripture, they're embracing the Tanakh as, watch this, as Christian scripture. They're like, this is about Jesus. Now, I don't know the last time you read your Old Testament and said, oh, this is about Jesus. But you have to keep in mind, that's what the answer is coming back. Is that everywhere they're looking in the Tanakh, they're reading about Jesus. They aren't interested in the Jewish religion because during, again, during this time, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. First, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem has been destroyed. And so the Jewish leaders, the, the priests, the rabbis and scholars are all trying to figure out, how do we practice our religion if we ain't got a temple? Ain't no temple. How do we do what we're supposed to be doing? Because it's been destroyed. Rome has taken over, right? Secondly, the Jews were quite often siding with Rome against this new thing called the way because, well, you're stealing our scriptures. You're just a, you're just a knockoff Jewish cult. Remember, remember I talked about early on where the priest said, hey man, if, if this ain't from God, it'll all die out. But if it's from God, you don't want to find yourself fighting against God. This is important stuff. So they're saying, hey, there's been these risings up in the past and they just come to nothing. But here's what's happening. Sometimes the Jews are like, yeah, arrest these Christian people. And we got into that a little bit. I'll be getting in next week too with this guy named Saul who decides he's going to start arresting these Christians, right? But then third, these Gentiles, the followers of the way, they're not interested in being Jewish because from their perspective, the Jews are kind of odd, right? They are these Sabbath-keeping, kosher-eating separatists, right? They, they, they refuse to work one day a week. How weird is that? And they only eat certain foods all the time. And then we can't intermarry and they can't intermarry. They're like completely over here. They're not allowed to talk to us. So the followers of the way, they take the Tanakh from the Jews, but they don't take the religion or the culture from the Jews. They just go, we're interested in these writings. And their interest in the Tanakh was about something called Christology. Christology. So Christology is this this theology that's digging into the nature, the person of Jesus, Christology. So there's this Christology that happened. That's probably a new word for some of you. I, that's why I put it up here. But they're studying the Tanakh and they're looking for Jesus. And you know what happens? They find him. Here's another one. I'm, I apologize. I'm just trying to get you up to speed here. But as they're looking in the Tanakh, in Hebrew, they find the Messiah, but in Greek, they find the Christ. And in English, we call him the Savior. Same word, three different ways. 
And so as these followers of the way are looking into the Tanakh, they're going, oh, these Gentiles, the Greeks are going, there's the Christ. And the Jews who are hearing about the Messiah are going, that's the Messiah. Why do they give him two names? Two different languages, okay? So as they're looking for him, they're finding him everywhere. And so then these priests, these rabbis, these scholars are all freaking out. Here's why. Because the non-Jews are interpreting their scriptures. That ain't for you to interpret. This is ours. You can't interpret our stuff. And so they add insult to injury. Here's why. Because they reject the Jewish interpretation of the Jewish scriptures. And the, and the Jews are like, who are you to tell me what my scriptures mean? Christian scholars are just backing up. They're like, um, you guys kind of missed the whole point. You, you missed your own Messiah. You don't even understand your own scriptures. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to keep your scriptures and you can keep your interpretation. Jews are insulted. Jews are freaking out, right? So, and you can fill this one in, the early church takes the Hebrew text, and this is just my own word, they baptized it. <laughs> they Christianized it. They go, this is about Jesus. So this is going to be a part of our teachings. This whole Tanakh, what do we call it? We'll get to it in a couple weeks, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, right? So they, they say, this is going to be part of the Jewish, what was Jewish is now going to be Christian. So they baptized it. They basically redeemed it for themselves, and honestly, I wish you and I would use it for more than Christology. Because our story is within the story. Our story starts here. God's pursuit of all humanity started right here. His pursuit of me, his pursuit of you, her, him, them. He, he pursued us right here. Because the Tanakh archives this redemptive and sequential history of the world, God's constant pursuit. And we've seen the last couple of weeks how God shows up at the very beginning, right? He shows up in Genesis, right? And he shows up and he quickly takes off his creator hat and he puts on his founder hat and he says, you know what? I got to bring redemption to the world, and so he starts with a guy named Abraham, a guy who has no family, a guy who has no kids, and he births a nation, with an international, multi-generational, and cross-cultural purpose. He goes, I got good things in store for you. You're going to be a blessing to the whole world. He's like, how's that going to happen? I got nothing here. And he's pushing 90 at the time. I got no kids. You're going to have, you're going to have so many kids, I won't get into it this morning. Okay. But this nation that eventually actually gets enslaved by a superpower. We talked about that a couple weeks ago with this guy named Pharaoh, right? Who considers himself to be related to the pantheon of gods that I talked about last week. This Pharaoh, he says, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so at the right time, Moses shows up into this story, right? And he goes into this environment and Yahweh starts having a conversation with Pharaoh in terms only a Pharaoh can understand. Violence and power. Okay, you want to see what power is about? You want to see the power of the gods, right? And so God frees his people, and the Egyptians essentially pay them, please go away. Please go away, right? Here, please take everything, anything you want, just please leave. We don't want you around anymore, right? 
Moses then takes them to Sinai, and that's where God establishes a covenant agreement. This covenant is, again, this Old Testament word is this covenant, this agreement with his people. And he says, listen, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. I want you to be separate from the nations. I want you to look different. And here's why. Because I'm going to bless the nations through you. My people, we, you, us, we're going to bless the nations, the entire world. And then God outlines the the stipulations, the rules and the laws of this covenant, right? And we get into Leviticus, right? And he says, I'm going to give you some land. And if you obey, you're going to prosper. But if you disobey, the whole world is going to watch how I punish you. That, that's, I'm just breaking it down real quick, right? By the way, when, when I say disobey, what I mean is if you take on the customs, the religious traditions, the morality, the polytheism of all the other nations, and by the way, when I say punish, what I mean by that is I'm going to take off my hand of protection. And I've said this many times. As humans, we put on the hand for discipline. God takes off the hand for discipline. Beautiful, right? And so the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the Old Agreement, right, the Old Contract, you can get this down, it's conditional. Watch this. In that, God's going to bless them if they obeyed. But it was also unconditional in that God says, you are going to always be my people. But here's the way this works. I'm, I'm, I'm going to set you apart for a purpose. Now, quick, quick detour here. Some of the Old Testament, some of this covenant that's found in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, right? It might strike us, we could look at some of it and you go, whoa, that's kind of brutal. It's, it's unsophisticated, right? But it, I want you to hear it was in fact superior in every way to the civil, the religious, and the moral codes of the surrounding nations. Uh, for an example, this covenant that we're, that we're looking at very quickly here there are 19, plus or minus, depending on how you count them, rules and laws just dealing with sexuality alone, right? And all 19 of these sexual perversions that were practiced in Egypt and in Canaan, God is saying, hey, listen, I want you to be different. I want you to look different. I want you to act different. I want you to live different. I want you to be different. I'm setting you apart. Here's why. Because you are my people. And I need to know the difference. The world needs to know the difference between people who follow the living God and people who follow their own gods, their family gods, their national gods, their whatever. And this is super fascinating. In every developed nation of the world today and most undeveloped and developing nations, listen to this, 17 of these 19 laws, these behaviors are that are prohibited right here in this covenant are illegal or still frowned upon today. The things that are outlined right here, culture still says that ain't right. Brothers and sisters shouldn't be doing that. Sons and mothers shouldn't be doing that. There's all kinds of rules that are laid out here. And 17 of the 19 rules that were laid out thousands of years ago, right here, are still adhered to today saying that there's something not healthy about that. And the protections afforded the most vulnerable? Oh, man. It's nothing short of revolutionary. Now, I, I mentioned last week, I mentioned women last week, but it continues in about servants, foreigners, children, everybody does better under God's covenant 
Why? And this is what I talked about last week. Because the Hebrews believed from the very beginning that there is a God, singular. Not you have to worship this God for children and this God for marriage and this God for harvests and this God for rain. No, there is a singular God who created humanity as image. And we were born with dignity. And, and I said this last week, we're not supposed to be worshiping creation because we are the pinnacle of creation. We don't worship each other. We don't worship the earth. We don't worship the world. And you know what? Our world still hasn't caught up to what's happening here. Our world is still trying to figure out, how do we best do this? They wouldn't say, we're trying to figure out how to follow the Bible. They're just going, how do we show dignity to humanity? And so, as I mentioned last week, we have a Women's Day and a Women's Month and Black History Month and Hispanic Heritage Month. And, and see, the world's still trying to figure out, how do we bring dignity to humans? Call it whatever you want. Started right here. God says, this is the way we function. So, let's get back to this. Okay, so, after the Sinai Covenant, God is now a certifiable nation, right? And because they're so huge, right? But they go, you know what? We want to be a kingdom like everybody else. We're a nation, but look, they got kings, and they got a king, and they got a king, and they got a king. We want a king. And God says, listen, that, that's not a good idea. So we get into First and Second Samuel, and God says, hey, listen, I need you to view me as your king. I know I, this is a, a theocracy is what it's called. Okay, I'm going to be your king. I'm going to be your leader, right? And against his counsel, they eventually get themselves some kings, a whole bunch of kings. But most of them, honestly, are complete disasters. Complete disaster. And you know why, right? Because isn't that the nature of someone who holds all the cards? Isn't that what happens when someone holds all the power? You can call them whatever you want. You can call them kings. You can call them emperors. You can call them presidents. But you know what they do? They raise taxes, right? And people don't like taxes. And God told them that. You get a king, he's going to tax you. Well, we want a king anyway. They raise armies. And armies are expensive, which is maybe why they raise the taxes, right? But, so, and then these leaders, these all-powerful leaders, they have harems of wives. And by the way, if you have a favorite wife, that's a problem. He says, listen, that's not the way we do it. I want you to look different. I want you to act different. I want you to be different. We are different. We don't do that. I am, I'm your God. Don't you wish, right? God, God says, I want, here's, here's God's rules. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to give me 10%, and that's it. I want you to put 10% of your income into the kingdom. But we chose presidents who give us payroll taxes and income taxes and shopping taxes and household taxes and property taxes. And, 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 and we're in some of the lowest brackets in the world. This is what happens. And he says, you don't want this. But, but here's, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it this way. And I think this is where we struggle too. Over and over and over and over and over again, here's what the people of Israel are doing. They're looking around instead of looking up. I, I encourage you to write that one down because that's my problem. Ooh, look what they have. I want that. How come they get that? Look, look how easy they have. I need that. We're busy looking around instead of looking up. 
And again, because they're saying, we want to be like everybody else. I want chariots like they have. And, And I know it's crazy, but way back here, the Bible says, don't get chariots, don't get horses. God actually says it. I don't want you to have horses, don't do that. Because horses bring war, and that's how war is done with these horses. I, I don't want you to do that. It's, there's a whole bunch of stuff we can't get into this morning. But, but I want you to hear this, that there's all this going on. And so they're looking around instead of looking up. And with their third king, right, they have a first king, a guy named Saul, and then another king named David. Their third king, a guy named Solomon, they actually got what every other nation got. They got themselves a temple for their god. But this temple, their temple wasn't like the other nation's temples. It looked the same. It was kind of built the same. It was organized the same. But the Jewish temple had one thing. The Jewish temple didn't have one thing that all the other temples had. There was no image of the Jewish God for who the temple was built. They built the temple for the Jewish God, but there was no image of that God. Because when you build a temple, you have an image of that God, and you build a God vault where you keep that image, you keep that image over here, and you keep the statue or the painting or you know, whatever it is, right? And, and you know what? The Jewish temple actually had a God vault. There was a God vault in the Jewish temple, and it was called the Holy of Holies. Here's the temple, and then you have this curtain, and beyond the curtain is the God vault. This is the place where God dwells, right? And in, the, in, and in that holy of holies, there's no image. And that's because part of this covenant. I'm here in the book of Exodus, chapter 20. You're thinking, when's he going to get there? I've had it open in my lap this whole time. Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 and 4. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol or any kind of an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. That ain't for you. You're different. We don't have idols. That's what he's saying to us. Hey, this is, this is us. Oh, listen, I cannot be contained in I cannot be described by, I cannot be narrowed down to, I cannot be painted as an image. I am God. In fact, he calls himself, what just, I am. You am what? Am. Whatever you could fill in there, that's me. Quick piece of history. In 63 BC, uh, a Roman emperor named Pompey, you guys recognize that guy's name? He comes in, he brings what's called the Siege of Jerusalem, right? This is during this, uh, this silent time, right? Jesus is already gone. He's, he's now left. He's been gone for about 30 years. But there's this moment where everything's kind of like, what now? What are we doing, right? In 63 BC, this emperor Pompey, he brings what's called the, the Siege of Jerusalem, and he, he gets to Jerusalem, he conquers the city, and he goes, I want to see the temple. It was one of his agenda items. When we get into Jerusalem, I want to see the temple. Because here's, who, I want to know, who is this God who refuses to be a part of the pantheon of gods? 
I want to know who is this God that says, I am the only God and there are no other gods. I want to know who is this God who basically despises and looks down on even the Roman gods. Who is this God? And so he pulls into Jerusalem. He conquers the city, the siege of Jerusalem, right? He makes his way into the temple. He brushes aside the priests. There's a huge history on this one. I can't get into it this morning. He pushes past this curtain called the Holy of Holies, right? And he goes directly into the Holy of Holies, and he's looking for this Jewish God. And what does this God look like? He's, now he's in the Holy of Holies. An empty room. There's a table over there. Is your God a table? There's nothing in the room. Where's the image? Where's the statue? There's got to be something that describes this God who thinks he's all that. Who, who is this? No room, and there's no, just an empty room. Pompey leaves disgusted, and it's this historically written out. He says, I've never heard of a God who has no image. He walks out of the Holy That was it. He, he leaves the temple standing. It was called the Temple of Herod. He leaves the temple standing. He goes, you guys are out of your minds. Who are these people that worship a nothing? By the way, just as a quick reminder, because so watch this. I, I kind of geek out on this stuff. I'm like, how did that all happen? What's happening here? There's a guy named Flavius Josephus. This guy was a, a historian, not a Christian historian, but a historian at the time. This is, he is probably the most influential, non-biblical or uh, parabiblical, right? He's, he's nowhere in the Bible, but he wrote a lot of the stuff that makes this all make sense. He wrote, Josephus wrote, there's, there's some new movement called the way. They're all following this guy from Nazareth. And it's making this big uprising. They crucified him over here. He writes from a historical, kind of like a newspaper. You're reading a newspaper, but it's all kinds of stuff called the Jewish war and all these other things. This guy, he, he puts all this down. And so there's, there's a couple of books that he has. One's the Jewish war, one's the essential writings of Josephus, where it gets into all of these things that make the Bible just go, from a news perspective, not from a Christian perspective, that comes alongside and goes, oh, that's the way that's working. I, I encourage you, if you're interested in this stuff, if it, if it sparks something in you, I, I encourage you to do that. Also, this one right here, a favorite. It's called The Drama of Scripture. Whew. So good. Bartholomew Goheen, right? Such a good, this takes the Bible and just breaks it all down. So let me just walk you right through the Bible. Here's where it starts. It starts in Genesis, then Exodus, then Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It takes you through the kings, takes you all the way through, and it takes it as, uh, the only way I could put it, as a drama. You, you read it, it's not written like a play, and then so-and-so said something that just gives you the pieces that you've got to know, like, how does this meta-narrative, the story of stories, how does it all fit together? That's, this is terrific terrific book if you're interested in that kind of stuff again if it if it sparks something and you want to know the history of how, how does it all fit together drama of scripture did a great job of that but let, let's get back here okay so the Tanakh as you look through the Tanakh right the the Old Testament which was again the writings the prophecies the law of Moses as you look through there a lot of it is the rants and the ravings and the writings and the warnings of God's prophets. 
So there's these prophets who speak on God's behalf. And you need to know that these prophets are addressing specific historical contexts. They're talking to specific kings. Uh, Again, I can't get into it, but Israel, which was one nation, gets split in half. Now there's a north and a south. Sound familiar? And so they're fighting against themselves, right? And these prophets are going, hey, 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 right? Again, oh, totally help you make sense of it. Who's Judah and Israel? Aren't they the same thing? No, yeah, no, no, yes. How do I keep them apart? It's a story. And that's the thing. We kind of have to be history people to get our history. It's not just, it's not just going on to genealogy.com. This is our history. This is where we come from, right? In fact, I, I will tell you, I, I got a bunch of these. I got these for you called Know Your Bible. Super, super simple, but it just breaks down every book in the Bible. 99 cents, a buck in the, in the resource center. It's a buck, all right? And it just breaks it down. My favorite parts are, right? It just breaks down each book. It says, details, please. Just one paragraph. This is one book of the Bible. This is another book of the Bible, right? Details, please. And then I love this phrase. In 10 words or less, what is this book about? I love that one. Because there are times when I'm teaching you, I go, I got I to give them a background to it. I grab this book. This is on my desk. I go, okay, Romans. Okay, in 10 words or less, sinners are saved only by faith in Jesus Christ. That in 10 words or less, you want to know what Romans is about? Sinners are saved in only by faith in Jesus Christ. And then the details, please, and then some specific quotes. Terrific little book. It's a buck. It's in the resource center. If you're interested in that kind of stuff, again, I'm just trying to, I want to empower you, equip you to do it, all that. We buy them at a buck, you get them at a buck. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm funding my retirement right there. No, I'm not. Okay. Here's what's going on. Every once in a while, these prophets that are talking to Israel, they look beyond the immediate context. Remember what I told you? They're talking. Hey, you guys can't do that. Hey, you're worshiping other gods. You're not supposed to be doing that. Hey, 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 hey. But every once in a while, they look beyond the immediate context to a future day. These prophets are talking about a future time where God's going to do something through the nation of Israel for the nations of the world. He says, this is what I'm about to do. And one of the most fascinating examples of this is open your Bibles to Isaiah. Come with me. It's like center, right? If you go left of center, you're going to hit Psalms. Go just about center. You're going to find this book called Isaiah. He's one of the major prophets, right? There was the minor prophets who were just shorter writings, and then the major prophets who were longer writings. Open up to the book of Isaiah. He's part of the major prophets. And Isaiah writes about 600 years before Jesus is born. So put that into, put that, just drop that, right? Okay, 600 years, Isaiah's writing all of this, and then 600 years here, here's where Jesus shows up. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. We celebrated it at Christmas, right? That 600 years before that is this book. And a lot of his prophecy, Isaiah, it's broken down in several pieces, you can get into it, but, but a lot of it makes sense within its original context, the Israelites are in bondage, they're, they're over here, they're in Babylon, they're in trouble, and Isaiah's writing to them going, hey, listen, while you're there, this is what's going on, he's writing to them, but then he's, again, he's addressing specific issues of the day, but then there's this one portion, just, just a little tiny piece that's kind of mysterious to the original audience, and it is in Isaiah 53, so come with me to Isaiah 53, 
Isaiah 53, and if you got your Bibles, just take one of these little bad boys right here. Whoop, that's what these are for, right? And just drop it right in there. Isaiah 53, because we're going to go through this chapter next week. And I encourage you to read it this week. I left you right there. Okay, let me pray. Father, you have done great things. We've watched it happen. And I want to thank you for this story that is my story. I thank you, Father, for how this book, this Bible was put together for us, this library that I need to know better. I need to know more. I want to thank you for that. And Father, I ask that as we dig in, as we discover not just the stories of the Bible, but the story of the Bible, I pray that we would come to connect with, that's my story. That story looks like my life. Oh, things repeat themselves. And so I ask in Jesus' name that as we leave here today, it would be with, a, with an understanding that you have a plan. All along, there's this continuous, what scholars and theologians, they call it this, the scarlet thread of redemption that starts in Genesis all the way through the Bible leading up to Jesus. You can piece it together. And so I thank you, Father, for the piecing together that when we got the Tanakh, it helped us to make sense and to see who Jesus was and what he was doing. And oh, this is, the, this is what God was talking about. I ask, Father, that as we leave this place, it would be with an excitement, a focus that says, okay, if that's where Jesus, I need to know more about that. And I pray that we would find the time to read these verses. Oh, these, how many verses, Walker? 53, right? These 12 verses. <laughs> that we would find the time to read 12 verses this week, maybe a couple of times. In Jesus' name, let it be so, let it be done. 